sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. How's it? How's it going? Welcome back to the show. I'm Andrew Nietling. I'm your host. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. Thanks so much for downloading this episode. How exciting. We've got some more racing to talk about. The 2020 World Cup season has officially kicked off. Not just one race though. For the first time in history, we had two World Cup races at one venue in the same week. Yes, you heard me correctly. They raced on Friday, race one. They changed four sections of the track so they had some new sections to get to know quickly on saturday and then they had qualifying on saturday and then the final on sunday for race two how awesome is that super unique and hey maybe they're going to do more of it in the future who knows well i lent on a good friend of mine miles kelsey to come on the show you'll hear about more of him in the intro guys without further ado let's get into some bench racing of World Cup 1 and 2 from Maribor in 2020. I might need a pee break halfway through, you know what I mean? Because you're so old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Race fans, welcome back. You know this is Moving the Needle podcast. Well, hopefully you do. And I'm honored because today I've got a great friend of mine, but he's not just a friend. He's an absolute student of downhill. He's got 41 years of riding and racing experience. Yes, you heard that right. So he's a little bit older than Greg, but not much actually considering he's a masters world champ in 2013 he's won the red bull taxco in 2003 he's raced all over the world he's even got a second in sa bmx champ he's raced provincial road um, he's raced it all really and what was awesome while i was racing is i would lean on him for all sorts of knowledge and experience and that's what i'm going to do today folks Without further ado, it's Mr. Miles Kelsey. He runs bikenetwork.coza here in South Africa, but he is a world student of downhill. How are we doing? All good, Needles. Thank you so much. Super stoked to be here. Awesome. And in all your years, you haven't seen a double header at one, one venue. No, I haven't seen a double header like that. That was really interesting. Super exciting to watch. I am... Um... I hate to say it, I think it's something that I have to look into for the future. I mean, we've always been a sport just itching for more races when you are a racer. Well, I mean, why not? You're over there, you've prepared for months, you get paid the salary. Why not have more events? I mean, obviously the teams will have to tweak their bonus schedule, you know, with someone like Loris going and winning both. That's going to be something. But I mean, does the UCI look at this and Red Bull TV and go, shucks, why not? At some of the venues. I hope so. You know, this... Um it's been a tricky year for everyone, so kudos to everyone involved for actually getting um, some racing in. And um, I think this could be an amazing discovery for UCR. I mean, if you think about it, like everything's changed this year, but let's not harp too much about that. But I think that um, 
The double header reduces costs for teams and media to be at the events um, because you you probably have so you probably have five venues each with a double header that gives us ten quali runs and ten finals. So is that I mean that's really going to bring out a true champion in the sport if if that's the kind of format that the UCR adopts in 2021 or 22 or something like that, I think it'd be really exciting. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely politics and red tape behind just saying, look, let's have more double headers. But if you had, say, you know, we can always get six or seven venues having races and some of those are double headers. So like you say, you're going to have 10 races plus the other two. That's a 12 race season. I mean, that's what other sports have a World Cup season or, you know, Formula One. They've got a lot of races. MotoGP has a lot of races. I think over that year, you're really going to... Because sometimes in our sport, we don't have a throwaway. So in other sports, some riders pick and choose their schedules. Maybe you're allowed to throw away two of the 14 or whatever it may be. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Because if you have a flat tire or one crash in a unique sport where, I mean, you've got one chance to get down a hill and there's so many factors involved. So it would almost be a bit fairer. Throwaway is a great element. I didn't actually consider that, um, you know... 20 races and the guys can throw away two, three events, but also the fans, you know, if, if you live, say 500 kilometers, a thousand kilometers away from the city in your country where there's going to be a world cup and you know that it's a double header event. So, you know, you're going to be able to get close to your, to the riders that to, as fans, you're going to be able to get really close to them for five, six days over the double header week. Uh, it's far more worth your drive and far more worth your time to go to that event or fly to that event as a fan. And then, I mean, I think we've seen with racing this year in all formats of cycling that it's a little different when there's no fans at the side of the track. And we want fans there. So, I mean, I, I'm all for it. I think double headers. I think we should see more of them. I, I, I don't know how the riders feel. And obviously, they're going to have to prep differently. But maybe that's a good thing because then they, you know, they have to put some tweaks into their preparation and off-season preparation. So I, I think it could be great. I mean, it's definitely more work for the riders, the mechanics, especially a mud race. Like turning around a bike from practice to quali, then that evening is like, and then the next day is a race, and then normally to have a breather. Then they've got to turn that bike around for not a practice day, for a practice into quali day, and then again, turn that bike around. So the the teams, I mean, we need to speak to that. They would have been working their, their asses off. I think the riders as well. It's mentally draining. We saw some of the interviews. I mean, they're saying they're going home for a week of sleep. And I agree. They've done so much racing. They don't need to do a lot before the next race. So recovery is huge. Yeah, it brings a lot more elements in. It brings more strategy in. When do you practice which course? Okay, you've got to get up to speed quicker. Someone like... Greg maybe takes a few more runs to get up to speed. You know, he's a bit of a tactician. You saw the youngsters, they just jump straight into it. You know, we'll talk about Thibaut Deprella. I mean, he jumps straight into quali again on a new course. He's up there again. You know, they just go fast. That's all they know. Um, less strategy, but more kind of gut feeling. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. I definitely thought double-headed's great. I hope uh, we have more of them. I mean, that's us. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I think also if you... Uh like remote regions, so young up-and-coming riders in South Africa, if we had a doubleheader here, the youngsters would get two World Cups in a week, you know. So it brings – I think it just sort of opens the funnel into the sport and reduces the barrier for, for younger riders who are on a budget to try and get into the sport. 
to be honest, big name riders, well, you know, you guys are professionals, so you guys need to adapt. And, you know, the mechanics are obviously going to have to work hard, I feel, for them. But I just think for the fans and for the the uh, the TV, the media part of it, I think doublehead is like I think it's a no-brainer for UCI. I really hope they consider it. Yeah, I mean, considering that has been the barrier is the cost to bid and put an event on. You don't get as many venues. You get your Staples, you got your Fort William, your Leo Gang. They're able to lean on on the on the structure. They do it through tourism and gate sales in the past, which made it work. And and we're losing venues. We're not really getting a million more venues. So yeah, great point. Well, um. Yeah, I mean, it was exciting. I think I feel like even more ADD than usual making all these notes because we had two races. Friday, it feels like ages ago because then you watch yesterday's race. So let's kick it off. Let's let's run through, you know, women's race one. I mean, we'll just start with Marine. She was fostered world champs in those woods, um, came unstuck. But I mean, she's basically the most dominant female racer currently because she's had three races at the end of last year, technically now four um, in a row, and, and other than that, she was second as well. So, yeah. I mean, she's basically the most dominant female race at the time, even though Tracy had the number one plate from last year. You know, I um, I called Cabaret for both wins, and I, I just think that, um, I, I don't know, when I see her riding, I just think of AC, I just think of Anne Caro, and I... And I I just love Cabaru's attacking style. She's, you know, she's full pin. She's attacking every inch of the track. She's either pedaling, pumping, squashing, um, whatever it is. You know, there's, um, she knows she's got that French thing that they understand the clock and they understand time and they understand how, do they, how they need to make every inch of the racetrack work for them. And uh, I just, I love the fact that she's on a good bike. Uh, she, I mean, for the last last year and this year, um, it's light. It fits her well. I'm so bike fit for me is so important. And I and you know, if she was on a, she, if she wasn't on the mixed wheel size, I don't think she'd perform as well as what she's doing now. You know, I mean, if she was on a 29, 29, and I really love watching her ride. I think, um, you know, she's she's gonna be a world champ. For me, when I look at her, I'm almost wondering. Is she going to be a three-time world champ or is she going to be a five-time world champ? Like, I see that much potential in her. So, super exciting. Yeah, I think she's showing those those rides that you can't say, well, Rachel's at home or Tane's coming back to speed. It's not one of those asterisk rides. I mean, you win by six seconds, six and a more seconds in, in those challenging conditions. She showed how good she could have been at Leo Gang. Her splits, you know, certain splits were very fast. She... Miriam Nicole, though, from last year, didn't have uh, a high enough number board. So she was mentioning limited practice, which is definitely a thing for race race one. So that yeah. was a strong ride from her having limited practice, not getting like a, a timed run as well. That definitely plays into your head as well. Like you, you, you know you haven't had, had much practice. So it's a tough mental game to accept it and say, you know what, I'm going to make the most of it. Um, so sometimes that's a, that's a challenge for you. And then... Tracy Hanna, she she just just on Nicole there. I think like um, you know she only did one World Cup in 2019, and so if you think about it, she has she's only coming into this Maribor World Cup. She's only done one World Cup in almost two years. So, and to walk away, 
with a second and a fourth and be in second overall, I think that's actually quite remarkable. I, th- I think she, if she's being hard on herself, she needs to ease off a little bit. I think she's done incredibly well. She's probably a little nervous going into the race as well and maybe rode a little bit stiff and that kind of stuff. But I think she's done incredibly well to walk away in second in the points. Well, she's still tr- struggling with that ankle. I mean, how hard is that? You see that she can't take the, the jump. You know, Tracy did the jump. Maureen did the jump. But, you know, Miriam couldn't. She wasn't going to risk that ankle. I think she's got to have surgery on it again or something like that. So that's, yeah, she's been battling injuries for a long time, which makes it even more impressive. Yes. That she's still able to be up there with limited bike time, thinking about injuries, nursing that ankle. So, no, I mean, that is, you, you're right. She can't be hard on herself going into the off-season with the amount of preparation she's had, lack of races and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Tracy, Hannah, um, yeah, I guess Marine, we're saying the dominant force. But on paper, in the last three races and this win, she is kind of the lady on form as well. But though Tracy has the number one plate, she backed it up after Worlds, qualifying fastest. And that's the challenge. When you qualify so well or fastest, sometimes all you're thinking is, okay, I need a clean run and I'm going to win or I'm going to top three. And, and it's a tough place to be in because if you qualify second or third, you know you've got to make up time. So you find those spots on the track where you're going to push even harder. And sometimes when you qualify fastest or you know, in a podium position and that's all you want, you sometimes play it safe. You know, just subconsciously it does happen. And I think that's probably what happened. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel her frustration. I, I, on, the, on the audio, on the TV, and the live runs, you could hear her sort of voicing frustration, screaming and shouting and stuff. And I feel it as well. Um, and I think you're 100% right. She you know, nailed that quali, quali run on race one. And then she got a third in, the, in race one. Um, quali in race two, she... Where was she in race two in quali? She was out of the top five. And yep. then she's, and for the race, she snuck into fifth place. So yeah, probably a, a bit of a mixed bag for, for Tracy. We know she's capable of more. I mean, she's very strong. And you can see on the bike, she's very strong. And technically, she's brilliant too. So I kind of also wanted more of her. I kind of also saw that maybe she could walk away with the with the white vest, you know, the, in the lead after the first two rounds. But um yeah, maybe maybe you're right. She she um, took her foot off the gas a little bit after winning the first quali. Yeah, I mean it's tough now that she's won the World Cup. Now again, we're almost being hard on her. It's like shucks, and that this happens to Loic as well. Everyone's like expecting the world of you, Quinn. Now it's like anything that's not a win is like what what happened. So yeah. we're just talking. I think that does naturally happen. You you don't want to, but you ride tired. You've qualified fastest. You know, like a clean good run's gonna win. So that's all you're trying to put down. And uh, yeah, it's tough to sometimes race like that, but she'll bounce back. She's so strong in the head. Like you said, she's, her training has been paying off. She came out flying, you know, when the season was going to start in March. So yeah, it's an interesting year for these riders. It's a big experiment for them um, to kind of switch on this late in the season. You know, it's training through the mud, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. You know, in a way, it's almost easier for the younger guns moving forward now because, you know, the let, let's say the more established riders who've got back-to-back seasons as a professional, you know, they've kind of got a rhythm with their coach. They know third week of March they need to be doing this, you know, like January this, February that, third week of March they've got to be doing this. Like they've got everything down. Um, whereas the younger riders haven't had that many seasons, so they're still finding their pre-season and finding their preparation that works for them. 
So I think the younger riders and less experienced riders are more easy or, or adapt easier to a um, a moving target, a moving race schedule like we've seen this year. So I think that's probably what maybe Tracy was battling with is everything moving around, not sure. I mean, even if she could get out of Australia and get into Europe at, at some stage. So um, yeah, that's stressful watching other people race like all those French cups and and you're not sure it's going to happen. Same as Gwyn, like he was forced to stay home. Like we can't say that he didn't want to come over and prepare better or get more experience. Like he, he couldn't, you know. And that was interesting. One of the things Loik said was, you know, he's going to manage risk considering it's so late in the off season. So normally racing is done, middle September-ish. Then you have like a month off, you enjoy it, you throw the bike in the closet, don't want to see it. And then you maybe start fun riding with your mates in October, November. You start structure even then December 1st. You, you you kind of got your train on your back. So that was interesting. It was almost like after Worlds, he'd lost the jersey. Now he's saying things like, you know, I've got to manage risk, like almost thinking ahead. And you could see that that maybe, you know, wasn't the correct attitude because the young guns, they don't care. They, they're chomping at the bit. This is a race. This is something they can put on their CV or maybe they're looking for a ride for next year. But you can see he turned around in race two. He's like, hang on. You know, we're still racing. I still want this. I'm going to show you. And that's what he said. Thanks for guys. Like, I still got the speed. It's like, well, we never doubted you had the speed, you know. So super interesting experiment, you know. I totally get that. I, 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 I think um, if you're changing teams um, to a new setup and you want to do a lot of testing in December and Jan on the new setup to get it dialed, then maybe you don't really bother too much about the season. But as far as I know, Bruni's not changing teams. So um, maybe he thinks that there isn't going to be an overall this year. But, um, yeah, I mean, he went 20th in race one, and then he was second in race two. Yes, there were totally different conditions. But maybe he realized, okay, he can't play it too safe. He needs to actually, you know. Well, in his defense, he did what it in the first right-hand turn. True. Which which does happen, which he'll be kicking himself, but his splits were there. Like, I don't know, yeah. people, I mean, his splits were right there after that. I mean, just to ride well after you've almost got mud on your glove, there was like a, you know, there's an easy chance he had that. I mean, he cocked it up, crashing no. that first turn. Um, it happens there. It doesn't matter how cautious sometimes you want to ride or you know it's a place not to crash. It can happen because you're in a race run. You, you have to push. But definitely that first turn with... And we're jumping ahead, but who you know, it doesn't yeah. really matter. It's things that yeah. come to mind. Tane as well. Tane in her race two was too aggressive into that first turn, even though it was drying out. Easy for us to spot that, easy in hindsight. And that happened to Loic. So I think he was still quick. Hey? But that's why we bench racing. Yeah, that's why uh, we're not there. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Yeah, I think Tane may be frustrated from the seventh in race one. And then, as you say, race two, just full gas, charging hard. Didn't line up that rut nicely. Maybe she had a sneaky inside of the rut and didn't get into it or whatever. Um, but I think her form will be there in 2021. She was also hampered by injuries this year. So um, probably been a super frustrating season for her, a super frustrating race for her. So yeah, For a lot of people, absolutely. No, I mean, she had great splits at Worlds, so she's back on it after not having races under her belt, coming back from a big injury. Yeah, it's been been fascinating. So, yeah, we talked about strategy. So you've got these two race things. I think Greg managed his strategy well. 
Uh, he spoke about it, maybe doing less practice runs or not tying himself in practice. And that's why you saw him down in both qualies. Um, I think that was by design. Um, he wasn't going to risk it. He was going to get into the event. He was going to build his race strategy. And it paid off in race one. I mean, Greg got his 79th podium. I think if he'd podiumed in race two, it would have been his 80th. I mean, can we just stop and understand like 79th podium? Yeah, let's actually just take a moment because <laughs> like, that is unbelievable. I mean, the career that we are witnessing in, in our lives, I mean, I don't think anyone's – this, this can't be repeated. I mean, the sport is too advanced. It's changed too much for someone to come in again and be podiuming over two decades. I mean, he's been on the podiums for almost two decades now. I can't remember when his first podium was, but I, it's almost two decades. I mean, it's at a sport like this where your lifetime at the top is maybe five years. You know, if you're a podium rider, you maybe have like a five-year span where you're in and on the podiums or maybe a little longer. But to stretch it out like what Greg has is unbelievable. But also what I noticed with Greg is, um, I mean, the whole syndicate benefits from his experience. I mean, they I, they were one of the teams who called mud tires for race one. Like, let's just go mud. And I, I stand to be corrected here, but I think that the whole squad was 100% on mud tires. And for me, that's experience. I mean, apparently Greg was one of the only riders to actually walk the track on the morning of the race day on race one. And I reckon what he was doing is, you know, I mean, we know Greg. He was out there working out setup and working out how slick is it and is the disadvantage of the rolling speed, is it worth the advantage of having grip? Especially those grassy turns right up top. You know, it's the first World Cup in a long time. The first three, four turns, you definitely need mud tires. And to roll into your first World Cup and get grip from on the first turn just relaxes you and calms you and you know what a career I mean that's just a snippet of all of the smart moves Greg's made through his career and I mean we're, we're just I mean the, the books and movies and videos and things need to be made about this guy because he's an, he's just incredible I mean I'm a massive fan and he jokes that he didn't finish school but I say he's one of the most streets smart people out there and his race head from being aligned with Martin Whiteley from in the beginning, Stefan Gerard, who he's still with, which you could easily get stale and move on and try something different. And he's still evolving. He added Alan Mulway, who I worked with, who's worked with G. Atherton, Danny Hart, a host of riders. Um, and he added a strength and condition asset to his and thing, because that's maybe something he noticed from Gwyn. Gwyn is strong. You know, yeah. have I got the best strength and conditioning style coach? Alan Milway thinks that way, you know, Olympic lifts, all that. So, yeah, what Greg did in that run, when I was watching the run, he had a perfect strategy on where he was going to push and where he was going to be conserved. And that's why he does so well. It's inch perfect, but not just lines. It's like, hey, this, there is more grip here. I'm going to risk it. And then, you know, you could see where he turned it down, that turn where he crashed last year. You could see he really braked, had good exit speed. So, yeah, I mean, unbelievable ride in race one by Greg in those conditions. Completely. He's an incredible athlete and um, knows when to lay down the power and knows when he can take those split seconds to recover. And, I mean, just the signature for, for me on Greg Minow's riding is 
those sneaky pedal strokes out of a turn. Like he gets he gets good exit speed, but then he adds, he compounds that exit speed out of a turn with those sneaky pedal strokes. And um, he's, that's the one thing, just the last thing on Greg is he's adapted to the way the sport has changed through the years. Um, I mean, at one stage, the sport was looking like it was going to become a flat pedal sport. And Greg's been through, you know, all sorts of wheel sizes, all sorts of suspension technology. And um, it's just amazing to see him ride up there. Yeah, to see him still be motivated. Um, yeah, you guys, if you haven't listened to it, I did a podcast with him maybe two or three ago. And, yeah, I wanted to dig into that. How do you stay so motivated? I mean, when you start having a big crash or two, like, I, I know when you get a little bit older, you don't really want to hit the ground anymore. But he's been so smart and methodical about his practice and stuff. He is minimizing those crashes and, and maybe not risking it all the time and not getting as many higher podiums or a win here there. But when he is feeling good, then you can see that, it, that he'll risk it. Yeah, so that was that was the ultimate tactician, I think, that ride. You could see it visually like way. And he did it in race two as well. Yeah, you could see that was a really good ride, but let's be honest: when the conditions start drying, more people come into the fold. The drier style riders, the guy that can attack and get away with murder, he comes into the mix. So that that was always going to be tough for him, and that's where sometimes we don't see him say get a podium is when a few of these other youngsters that are willing to just lay it all on the line uh, sneak into yeah. the fold. Yeah. And he's still—I mean—he's sitting seventh in the points, so seventh overall. Um, 39th birthday coming up. Just remarkable. He's and, going to and be 39 in November. Let's just think about that. He's catching you now, Miles. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> yeah, so let's, um, we can jump around. Where, where do you want to go next from Greg? You want to stay in race one? Is there a, a rider you want to, jumps to mind? We just, we moved a little bit over into the men, kind of okay. speaking race. You spoke about tires. That was interesting. We weren't there. But I also agree, I, I didn't understand that drives were really an option. It's the type of rider makes that decision fine, but cut spikes is like the other happy medium. Uh, you know, like, I think a lot of guys were on cut spikes. Um, if I was there, I would have been around the pits just checking who's exactly got what. Um, and then you saw the guys that went for a more aggressive tire. And another, um, someone messaged me, uh, fair question, you know, do riders practice on spikes? Shouldn't they be riding them more often to understand how they feel? Well, the more experienced guys know. Um, also, they do do training in, say, Morzine, which often rains. So you will throw spike tires on. But a funny story on that is the youngsters sometimes don't have experience on spikes. And they often need to go out when it's bad conditions and throw the spikes on and understand it. But you do get practice on the tires in the conditions. So you get a feel for what the tire and the grip is of the track. But I don't Aussie. His name was Lindsay Klein, great rider, and he joined Global Racing in 2003. And we were in Switzerland. Greg was there as well. He he was on Harrow at the time. And it just started pissing the night before. And we were at the stage when you're young, you're so excited to put spike tires on because you don't do it that often. Yeah. So we all woke up straight to the mechanics, put the full spikes on. We're quoting, you know, the videos. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so, and we looked at him. He didn't have spikes on. Lindsay, are you going to put spikes on? No, I've never ridden spikes. And and this was a grass-sloped course. It was brilliant. Out. It was like an outdoor motocross track, and it had pissed rain in Switzerland. Lindsay, are you sure you're not going to put spikes on? We'd highly recommend. Even Greg was like, dude, you need to put spikes on. No, I've never ridden them. I won't know how they work. We're like, 
well, you're either going to have zero grip or a decent amount of grip. Yeah. Anyway, it only took him about half a run and about 14 crashes to go straight to the pits and put these on. So I'll always remember that, you know. Yeah, always a gamble with those bikes because they're not the best on rocks and roots and stuff. So, I mean, as you well know. But, yeah, I think that would have been a fail um, for some riders. You know, riders who went into Maribor not having ridden and tested on spikes in the two, three months leading up to it. You know, even even if you just put them on for your home trails and ride your home track, even in the dry, as you say, just to get used to them because they, they can – uh, you, you know how they ride. You go into a turn and the, the bike can sort of throw itself into the turn with spikes. It's a, usually a lot more square profile tire. So. Yeah, it's a square profile. The, the knobs are t- taller. Um, that's why they cut spike. The, the, the technology has come around a lot, a lot. You know, you can still cut the spikes, still some soft compound. But, you know, that was interesting. I'm definitely not. Everyone, each to their own. Um, it was challenging conditions. Maybe it looked like it, you know, Especially race two. I mean, then it they called it a dry race, but man, it was slick. You could see yeah. it was like there were some patches that were just like ice. Yeah, completely. Um, and just on that note, I think the other fail I've got that I'd like to mention is to Maribor for not putting padding on some of those trees. I mean, the tree that, if I got it right, the tree that Reese hit uh, had zero padding and it was... It was on a double turn, so right-hander where you've got to set up wide, and then the left-hander you've got to punch and rail hard, and none of the trees in the left-hander had padding on. Um, and then I, when I was watching more and more, I, I looked down the track, and I could see a lot of trees on the exit of turns never had padding. And like for me, that's a massive fail. I mean, you've had injuries, I've had injuries. The injuries do happen in the sport, but um, I just – I want to uh, red flag or red card the Maribor organizers for, for not padding up the trees more. I mean, it's, it, it could have been a lot worse for Reese. I think that's a fair, fair statement and, and request is like, let's not forget safety. Let's do our very best, even if it's, you can't pad every single tree down a track and that'll be some of what they're thinking. But I do, I do agree with you and I just want it to be as safe as possible. And, and look, we're not saying they don't do a good job. We're not saying they didn't go all out but we do need to see as much safety as we can it's a dangerous sport these riders are putting on a show risking so much on that note i i i can't believe we can't fix the finish jump on race two when it rides out and it's you're the rider has done all the hard work he's coming in he's committed he's tired and it's not from lack of skill but he's committed. You can't tell him, no, you know there's ruts you need to break. Well, some of those ruts will change. From your last practice run, you decided you're doing third from the right, for example. And you come in there committed, but because so many other did it, it changes. And that, to me, is something I really hope they can go. I mean, you can just go there and dig it out, compact it, get it a little bit safer, especially the finish line jump. You saw a few guys going almost over the bars. There was a crash. There were some horrible dead sailors. I was actually watching a bit with your brother, John T. Uh, he popped around and we were watching a bit of that lo- finish line jump. And we both said, like, how is it they haven't run a machine over the face of that jump just to take those nasty ruts off? And they were obviously drying as well and getting harder. Um, and like you say, you're tired, you're coming into the finish, and suddenly you've got this thing that bucks you. Um, just from a safety point of view, I felt that should have been looked at. But anyway, like, I hope Reese, just jumping back to Wilson, I hope he's okay. 
Dude, isn't I mean, I know I'm talking a little bit about Leo Gang now and you wanted to focus on Maribor, but isn't Wilson just like such a fresh approach, fresh attitude? Like, isn't he just such a nice guy? He's a sponsor's dream. I, I don't know if he's changing teams or staying where he is, but he's just such a fresh, good vibe, happy, stoked to be riding. Oh, I got a Rambo jersey. That's awesome. Then he comes to Maribor and the first quali run, he wins it again. So he backs up his Leo Gang result. Like, I think that's one of the standout performances of the weekend for me. I mean, there, there were points on the line for Quali, and he 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 just opened the throttle. He said, I got the rainbow jersey on. I'm not scared of what this rainbow jersey means to other people. And he just, you know, he just turned the throttle on and won Quali. He's like, what a guy. Yeah, that is, it is refreshing to see and, and to back up the world thing because there's going to be so much expectations. You haven't won a World Cup. And then he comes out of the blocks firing. Um, that's cool. That shows you. That's what we spoke about, me and Mark. We say, you know, I think it's actually going to be good for him. I think it's like, hey, you can do this. Um, so that was amazing. Yeah, for him to tick off a quali win already, it's pretty impressive straight away. So that shows you. You're high on confidence. And just like split second later, gets taken all away. And that's the highs and lows of the sport. That's what makes it so brutal. And we respect the riders so much. So, yeah, what a bummer that we didn't get to see him in race one and race two. But let's not forget, he did back it up and, and win qualifying of, of race one. Yeah, Definitely. I know, interesting, they're already alluding that he might be moving on or maybe it was, yeah, I mean, the negotiations, it is later in the year. Normally, they only start after September. But now we've got October, uh, you know, marketing guys have to probably kind of sort their budgets out in this month depending on the team. So now someone like Danny's, it's already been announced, but also apparently he's already got another team. So yeah, that's interesting. But so, so can we, can I throw in some curveballs here on team rumors? Well, absolutely. Yeah, let's launch into it. Okay, so I've, I've got five curveballs. Like there's no science involved here. This is all art. <laughs> <laughs> all gut all, feeling. This is all gut feel. Do it. Let's start the rumor mill right here, right now. 41 years of gut feel. Um, so I reckon, I reckon Reese Wilson's going to go to syndicates. You reckon? I, I think Hoffman's going to go to the syndicates. I think Walker, Matt Walker, the weapon is going to go to the syndicates. No, Matt Walker's staying. That's already announced. So sorry, I've got to. Is it? I've got to douse your fire there. Matt Walker's staying. Danny okay. Hart is is has apparently also secured a right, so he's not getting renewed. Matt Walker is staying at, at Saracen. Saracen Madison has done their, their press release. Okay. But Reese Wilson to syndicate, he would fit in. But who moves on? Is Loris moving on? You know? Or, or I don't know. I, mean, I saw something. No, I think Loris is staying. I think Loris, even if someone offered him an extra zero on his paycheck, he should stay because he's got that formula on that bike worked out for him. So Yeah, but he's, is he the lead rider? Is he a lead rider when Greg's there? Who says Greg's there for next year? Greg's racing next year. Oh, he's, no. No, Greg, is that your other little rumor mill? Uh, no, I don't know. Um, I mean, Cannondale, Trek, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on. There are lots of riders. I hope you guys are enjoying this. We are going to jump around. Um, let's go. Let's run through... The podium kind of of both. So, But Matt Walker, you, you spoke about him. Yeah. He's Matt. of the two riders that had double podiums. 
a fourth in race one and a third in race two. He loves Maribor. That's where his previous podium, podium came from. He's had a fourth, a fifth, a fourth, a third. So he is creeping up that leaderboard. So is that qualies as well? Because if you look at Maribor and you count quali and race, he was in the top five in every race. That's awesome. No, I've, I've, I'm trying to decrease the clutter on my desk of notes <laughs> and my ADD. So I am not digging too hard into quali purposely. I mean, but Matt that's incredible. Walker. That's consistency. So he's, uh, he was junior world champ in Aussie, I think. Mm, he is a former and, uh, junior world champ. Yeah. And then uh, I think he's the next rainbow jersey for, for Great Britain. Like I, I, He's going to win an elite rainbow jersey. It, it might be 2021. It, but, I, you know, I, I just, when I watch that guy ride, he looks like a strong cat. He looks like he can throw the bike around. He He's almost, for me, the like Minar 2.0, if I can say that. Like he's almost got a similar style and approach to his riding and racing like what I see in Minar. And he's a contender for 2021 for the overall because that kind of consistency to go, on to, to go into the top five in quali and race and quali and race at Maribor, uh, you know how to ride a bike. And he's sitting second in the points right now. So Matt Walker, you uh, – I like Matt Walker. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We've got loser, different style track. Let's see what happens there. And remember, his podiums enough. have only come from one venue. I like Matt Walker. I'll put money on him. I agree. I agree with all your statements. I just want to say, we have we seen it on all styles of tracks? Uh, valid point. Valid point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe he can do it. I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah. I'm definitely not picking into his skill set because I do think he's got an all round skill set. I do think he, he rides smart like like Greg Minot. If I was a brand guy shopping for some future championship runs, um Matt Walker would be in my top. You think three. that asset's gonna appreciate, I agree. Well speaking of appreciating assets, Tebow the Prela. Junior World Cup won six of the eight wins. Fine. Dominant. It's his first year elite. It's his first race. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and what was worse, no, good and bad. So he qualifies second in race one. Reese is a no start. So he's the last man down the hill. Yeah. I still think this, this non-fans thing would have helped. It, the, the aura and the atmosphere of, of race day when there are fans and like the Finnish corral and you go past it to the lift, it's like, dude, you're sweating bullets. You're like, this is the real deal. Like, I what, like I got to just get down the seal. I'm going to be on the podium. But now maybe he was able to focus more on himself. And, and he has said he's learned a lot racing in all those junior races. He's, he's definitely a switched on guy. So pretty much my standout ride for the weekend. His his style for me is kind of juxtaposed to Minar. You know, um, he lacks precision. He's full throttle and exciting to watch. And maybe you know when you see youngsters coming up, you always say you need you, you know when you're coaching them, you say you need to go a little slower to go a little faster. And maybe that applies to Tebow. But I kind of don't want to see him go any slower or little slower at all because that wild style is just so cool to watch. I mean, he's. Full he's like kind of James Stewart. Turn the throttle fully open, pin it there. Now work out what to do with the speed. 
And uh, I, I just love watching the guy ride. And yeah, you're right. He's he's third in the points. Well, yeah. If you want to teach something, I'd rather teach someone to back it off a bit, or teach someone fitness or racecraft. Like to teach speed, that can be a challenge. You can gain speed and get better, but yeah, the raw speed, the raw raw attacking style of him. No, he's fast, man. And then obviously good in the wet. A French one, two, three. Speaking of that, Remy. Fan favorite for lack of fans there again. Feet up in the first right-hander in race one was just like, I mean, I'm not even surprised. He's just ridiculous. It's great to see him back, bouncing back from those injuries. It's a long time since that that last win of his. He almost went and did if it wasn't for Loris. So, you know, Remy Teron, he's just so fun to watch ride, and he's so positive. He's a good, good ambassador for the sport. I just don't, yeah, that he's also amazing to watch, as you just say, and probably in really good form right now. Um, he's on the right wheel size for his riding style as well, which I think is key, you know? Yeah, you've been bringing that up quite a bit, and that, that'll be something you can lean in with Loris, yeah. Yeah, um, I just just last on Tyrion, I just think he he finds a way to carry speed so well. So even whatever the track's doing, whatever he's done, he just keeps charging he keeps the speed going you know he might be you know 50 percent off of his bike you know and like climbing off the bike but he just keeps moving forward and it's cool to watch i'm stoked for him no definitely he couldn't it's he's just such a nice guy he's genuine super good to see at the races so he's obviously fast in the steep stuff the technical stuff um so that was good to see conditions played into his favor in race one there yeah but but dude let's 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 go to Virgil, please. Let's let's talk about Virgil. Well, again, I mean, the last podcast we jumped quick to Reese, and I was like, of course we can jump to Reese. He he won the race. Loris yeah. won both. Um, that was that was a proper feat, you know. That that shows you his fitness is there. That shows you his strategies there, his skills there. So, two years since that last win of his, and now he's just notched up two more. So, this is like credit to hey, this is not a write off of a year. Even if we only get this race and they have to happen to cancel loser because of unforeseen issues with government and COVID, yeah, Laura still in the history books has two World Cup wins, boom, yeah. in one week. Yeah, I mean, I um, I was in Andorra on the side of the track when he won that that race, uh, or was I there the previous year? I was, I think, I was home for the race he won because we had done Masters there, but um. I watched him ride on that in Andorra on the steeps on a 29er rear. And I just, I'm pretty sure he had a 29er rear there. It was two, three years back. But I just felt like, or maybe it's the footage I've been watching, but I just kind of felt like it wasn't really working for him. And also at the same time, Santa Cruz was saying, you know, it's, you're either a 29er rider or you're a 27.5. We're never going to make a mullet. We're never going to make a mullet. And I really felt like, because I'm the kind of the same, I'm 174, 175, and I also battled with the 29 area for a bit and puzzled. And then, you know, there's all this marketing uh, story coming at you that 29 is faster. We've tested it. It's four seconds faster at Fort William, and you're starting to believe all this stuff. But I just think that if you're comfortable on a bike, you're going to be faster. And with Vergia, I'm talking specifically about Vergia, the bike fits him now perfectly. That 29-27 is absolutely perfect for his style. He can move around on the bike. He can shift his weight around. He can move his hips where they need to be to get the traction. Um, and I think that's one of the big things is is, is the bike fits him. Um, 
he also has, he's got what I refer to as a true understanding of racing the clock. He, he understands the clock is ticking and he mustn't panic. But I see in his riding style, he just knows that every little movement, every little shift of body weight impacts on the, the, the time. So he's always pumping, he's always pedaling, he's always staying low, and he's, there's always sneaky lines going on. So I think it's his time to shine. I don't think that this is a, a, a one-track result. I think that um, there's a win streak coming. I'm going to call it. The next win streak is, is – I, I think we're going to see it now. Um, and I think it's coming from Virgil. He's – I mean – I'm going to say Virgil is going to win 50% of the races next season. 50% so next season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's hungry. That was a big run under pressure with a leader's jersey in race two. Yeah. So that was that was big as well. Um, obviously, he was fastest at Worlds Quali. So the speed has been there for years, though, hey? Like, yes. Yes, he had that one win, and we're saying, look, it's two years since his last win. That is the toughest thing to do. They say, I mean, I guess I can talk into podiums, not wins. Like, once you get the one, you're like, now you expect it, you want it. That's tough. So now again, but now he's not sort of a quick two more. It's not just, okay, I won one, now I've won again. It's like, boom, boom. So it was always going to potentially have that be a positive of two races at one venue. Is if yeah. you're riding well, you have a chance for two. And then if you're riding well and you mess one up, you can bounce back. But also it's damage control if you don't quite like the track and stuff. But, you know, this was cool. We had two different conditions technically. And then they changed the track a bit, which was great. And then don't forget his win two years ago was on dry conditions on a steep track in Andorra. So he can kind of do it anyway. Mm, no, no, he's, a, he's all round. He's definitely not a one-track pony. Absolutely not. So, yeah, French... Dominance in race one, uh, one, two, three. That was great. Same trainer. So the guys are fit. The guys are taking it seriously. I think that's awesome. Let's run. I'm just going to run through some names and we can talk about general race one, race two. Quinn, obviously race one was going to be tough. The conditions, again, not playing into his favor. But I think in race two, six places, I'm correct. And that was the same as last year. I think he just missed the podium, but it was like, you know, he was just starting the year, new bike, all that sort of stuff. So I think we're going to start seeing the form that we expect from him. And that's the challenge with him. Everyone's going, what's wrong? I mean, you can imagine even he's going, shucks, I used to win it all. Now I'm like having a decent run getting six. That's tough mentally. Yeah, it got to be so tough for him. I mean, it's it's not nice to see someone who's dominated and done so well, um, you know, not on the podium. But he's still 12th in the points overall, and I'd, like no one would write him off. No one would ever write him off, and he's he's a champion. So I reckon he's probably the hungriest of all of the champs going into the off season because he's probably super disappointed with those those results. So um, I mean, he'll come out firing in the new year. I'm, I, I believe. Oh, I definitely believe. Like the way he was riding um, in race two. I do think you see the footage of him riding at home when he's comfortable and it's dry. I mean, that's the Gwyn, Gwyn of old. Yeah. Um, but it's always going to be like that. It's not sustainable to win everything. People have progressed. The The depth of racing, the youngsters are now, look at Thibaut. Qualifies second, backs it up. 
I mean, they're ready to win already. It's not like we've got to wait for juniors to develop because they're racing for two years. They're, they're learning how to win. They're learning how to deliver when they qualify fastest. Um, and then they just have to kind of copy-paste. Finn Isles, one that maybe has been too inconsistent, but we all know the speed's there. So, yeah. But Finn Isles is going to be a force to be reckoned with as well. He's he's aggressive, though, and that's why you can see how inconsistent his results were in the past. But he has multiple podiums now, you know, in race two. So jumping ahead, that's another rider I wanted to, to focus on. Yeah, super strong. He's in good shape, and he's got... He does some incredible... He pulls off some incredible saves if you watch some of his runs. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I shame that, that first win... You know, he could be that guy who make, gets that first win and then just just is never out of the top three for a couple years. You know, he's got that kind of potential. He just perhaps needs to pull that breakthrough run together. And, um, yeah, I wonder what's going on there. Because everyone kind of expected it by now. Maybe there's too much media hype about him. You know, maybe it's, the, you know, Canadian and, you know, some big brands supporting him. And maybe there's just too much pressure. Maybe he needs to find a way to... You know, who knows what's really going on there. But uh, I think great things to come from him, like you say. I, I believe it. He's got he's got the winning – he's got a great bike. He's got great damping there. And um, he's a he's a good guy. He's a good kid. So I think things could shape up for him soon. Yeah, and only 0.8 from the win. I mean, let's, let's, like, let's get excited about race two. That was like downhill racing as we remember. It's yeah. good for TV. Um, most riders, most had decent runs. You know, it wasn't kind of a lottery of sorts. Could have so easily been his his race, eh? Yeah, I mean, point eight. I mean, that's nothing. That's just nothing. Um, Trimmer in the first run was on pace. I think it's great to see Trimmer. Uh, I know he's not on the podium, but he is able to kind of back up the speed from World. Say it's not a fluke. Um, He's yeah, won Crankworks as well. Like, I'm really impressed with him. He's a kind of a quiet assassin, goes about his business. Yeah, super smooth rider, very, very, t- very tidy rider. I mean, before his, cr- his crash, he was he was reeling in, on Minard. Yeah, you know? he was on pace with Greg. Yeah, I've made notes here. On pace with Greg in race one. Yeah, that was really good. And then let's go to his teammate, uh, Angle Suarez. I mean, yeah. He has had some horrible shoulder injuries and people maybe thought, okay, maybe he's not the real deal. But now that his shoulders are fixed, boom, he's like straight into the top 10. I mean, that's Unreal. that's that's a really strong ride against a lot of top riders in, in race two there. Unreal result. Really well done, yeah. That must be nice. I mean, when you're battling with shoulder injuries and you kind of don't want to use the excuse the whole time or people just start forgetting that there is an excuse and you're like, you know, I've got so much more, but I physically can't do it. So that's nice to see and push through, get it fixed properly. A shoulder injury is a difficult one to come back from as a downhiller because so much of what you're doing on the bike, well, a lot of it comes from your core and your trunk, but so much of it is supported by your shoulder. So when they up, if they cut in there, they cut some of the nerves and it takes a long time for everything to regenerate. So so it's an amazing recovery, actually. Yeah, well plus like most crashes, you end up knocking some form of shoulder or like getting a bit of a knock there. Danny Hart, we can't not speak better run from him, but definitely, I mean, I don't know. You know, he's been dealing with 
not getting renewed with contracts. Wolves didn't quite go his way, considering it could be a track that suited him. I mean, I love I love Danny, eh? and and I think twenty fifth in race one, and then eighth in race two, so he's thirteenth overall. Um, I think what Danny has proved, maybe not just this weekend, but um, you know, certainly over the last eighteen months, is Danny can win anywhere. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of pigeonhole him as the champerish, mud shredder, steep track specialist. But, I mean, he showed us he, that last year that he can win anywhere. And he's become so consistent. So he's almost a dark horse for, you know, a, a normal season. If we have a normal season in 2021, I reckon Danny's almost a dark horse for the overall. Because, you know, maybe in 13th in the overall now, he's a bit... Off, off of the radar, but he's such a talented rider. He's so, I mean, he's rated highly, but I still think he's underrated, if that makes sense. And and I, I think he's going to regroup and regather. And he just, you can just see, he just loves riding his bike, and he's so creative. So, I think there's still some fireworks to come out of Danny. I would definitely agree, and he trains incredibly hard. Um, I've been there with him. I've used the same trainer. Um, Definitely trains hard, and he has become an all-round rider that can perform on any track. And I do think if you get him, if he can get a season going, where he just reels off a few few more results, he can definitely. And then he'll he'll be up for the challenge. Like if it starts becoming like a points race and stuff, I see him as someone that can can really like ride under that pressure and, and bring in an overall season. Definitely. I just want to so, say, yeah. Dan, Danny, if you're listening, don't go to twenty nine Aria. Whatever you do. Wherever you're going, whatever. Yeah, Miles, you are you're a proponent for let's call it bikes that fit your riding style and height. Definitely, I can hear that, and and I agree. And that's another thing: is Gwyn forcing the twenty nine er front wheel? Is he forcing it? He was so. I mean, he was just yeah. so good when he was on his trek and his YT. Like, is that something that maybe? And I spoke to Porti about this, actually. We were talking about it. And um, look, they all test. They all do timing. But sometimes the feeling of things, like a 27, 29 in theory is more grip, but you kind of have to lean it differently. And when it goes, it's gone. But a 27 can maybe like have less grip, but it kind of consistency slides. And that's kind of what he was what he was doing. That was Porti, actually. Uh, Johan Porti made a good point with that. I was like, yeah. I haven't thought about it like that all the time. I like the positives of a 29er front. I really do. Yeah, Porti was early to call 27.5 as his his setup. And, it, you know, he's made it work for him. Um, maybe that is the case with Gwyn. Maybe that testing on on the bigger wheels was done on, you know, specific kinds of circuits. Um, but I'm just – for me, it's just about the basics. And if you're not comfortable on the bike, you're not going to be able to – go to the limit safely and um I, I just i don't see Gwyn as being super comfy on that bike i mean he's super strong and super fast but i i don't see him being able to move around and dominate the bike as much as he used to but just on bike size um and if we can talk about troy absolutely he's he's in the notes we have to talk about troy like I mean, such a great bike that on paper, I mean, that that bike is amazing. And I, I don't know. I mean, Troy is obviously and Burrell, you know, that and, and analyze everything and do testing everywhere. But 
I mean, he so he he had a fifth in the race too, and he was you know on the podium and um, and and not far off of the win. But when I watch him ride, I just see that that back wheel is so close to his butt, and it's about to slap him, and it's like it's like I wonder how comfy he feels going into a big compression, um, slamming the bike into a turn. I just don't see him as comfy and having as much real estate to move his body around with that big wheel behind him. I, I just, it, it puzzles me why he's on a 29, 29. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to see an interview with him and understand why he went all 29. Uh, maybe there's other things we don't understand. Maybe there's te technical stuff that's going on there, but I just, I just think the bike's too big for him and mate, Maybe he needs to go down on reach if he wants to keep the 29. That way he can move himself a bit forward and be a bit more upright. And it just feels like he's, to me, he doesn't have enough room to move around. And, you know, everyone's got their own riding style, but, you know. I, I was surprised, but I did chat to him in, in New Zealand. He seemed very happy they'd done the testing. And, and that's why this is fun. We could bench race. I'm like, oh, we yeah. don't quite understand it because that's our subjective opinion. And that's what makes a sport great. Like you can get it done on any bike these days. You can get it done on any wheel size. But for sure they've done the testing. I mean, he was fast at Worlds. He was really fast at Worlds. Yeah, so we need to kind of give it maybe a whole season to see how does it play out overall over different tracks for them to yeah. make like a, a real like analysis on it. So, But feeling is one thing. Like there's timing and there's feeling and he obviously sees the timing works and then he's like, I feel fine on it. But is he had a lot of tire buzzers on his pants. I mean, yeah. it was noted in the commentary. I mean, you're, you're, you're tall. You and Greg are tall. So, you know, when you're shorter, those tire buzzers are scary, man. When you're pointed down a big slope and you get that rear wheel buzzing you, it's, you know, it, it, it sends you. There's a lot of fear there. So you start to ride a little bit scared of it. You start to pull your hips a little bit further forward and, you know, keep thinking about that big wheel gonna smack you and it's not about smacking you it's about pitching you that's that's the problem it's yeah. gonna pitch you over the bars so it makes me remember like in idaho i had these white race pants and like this is when bikes were 26 inch and i knew if i had a buzz on that tire i'd had a good race run it means i was committed it means i'd hit something and i'd have to like really lunge off the back but riding styles are adapting with the bike so yes. yeah that's that's super, yeah, super maybe, interesting. Maybe I'm just old school on that, but but I agree with you. Like, it's it's scary when you get tie tie tapped, tie buzzed. No, I think it's it's all it's super interesting. Definitely, uh, riding styles are adapting. Greg's riding style is a lot different to when he was on smaller bikes, 26. You know, he's hopping around and now super stable on a bike, and and he rides a 29. You know, a lot differently. Uh, Lucas Shaw is returning to form. That's good to see. Yeah, maybe nice. not like the sparky results we hope for him, but Lucas Shaw was impressive in both runs, right? I had notes yeah. here. Tenth, well, tenth overall, so he went sixth in race one, and then eleventh in race two. Yeah. So he's tenth overall, and he's 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 there in the mix on the, you know, on the time. He's not far off on the time, so it probably it's a nice it's a nice result, and he's probably looking to build for twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think that's key. 
Um, what other standouts or names have, have I missed here? I know we've been jumping around, but that's the fun of having two races at one one venue. In uh, Hoffman with a win? No, yeah, we, sorry. We are, I'm definitely going to race two in the woman. Okay, okay. Go, go for it. Lead me off. Yeah, I think um, the win was coming. It was always going to be a wild one. Um, I love Nina Stiles. She's super wild. She scares me, though. Like, those near... Those near <laughs> It's really scary watching her ride because um, I don't want her to hurt herself. But she's fully pinned, fully committed. Um, and stoked for her. You know, she got sixth at race one. And then, you know, she's sitting third in the points after her win in race two. And it's good to see, you know, the the, the women's field is alive. There's, there's faces, there's fresh talent coming through. And it's it's good to see different people up on the podium and taking the win. Yeah, I mean, she's her first World Cup season is only in 2018, and then three podiums in 2019. So she might not have thought she could win a race, but when all the cards kind of fall her way, really inspiring ride. And and she was saying she made mistakes or she'd hit the rock section better in practice, but she was really good in the rock section. But that's going to happen with those conditions. Those are yeah. conditions that you can't compare to your best practice run. You're going to make little errors here and there. A lot of the riders spoke about it, but every rider was dealing with small little mistakes. Yeah. I wonder, just speaking on mistakes, I wonder like to, you know, look at the psychology of the whole thing um, in tough conditions like that. Um, you know, I think when you're racing back, to, I mean, you, you, you raced seasons 13 seasons back to back to back you had very little injuries so you were there for you know 13 solid seasons so you when conditions are tough you have to be mentally strong and you have to know in this race run three four five minutes i'm going to make mistakes but you need to prep yourself mentally ahead of those mistakes to know that when they happen you're just going to get on with it and keep charging now i wonder with Maribor being so difficult, especially race one, and with there being a long gap, you know, 18 months between World Cups, I wonder how many of the riders paid enough attention to the psychology and the mental preparation leading into the event, particularly around there's going to be mistakes, but everyone's going to make mistakes. So if I make a mistake, I mustn't have a meltdown. I must just move on for it, keep focusing forward, keep pushing forward. And I just wonder how many riders actually looked at the psychology going into the event beforehand. It's a, it's a great point. And I remember one preseason when there weren't enough preseason races, um, I was lucky enough that the mechanic flew down and he stayed at my house and we went and did like a mock race for that very purpose. And that's where you see the guys that raced a lot. So they didn't have to do it themselves they but they were doing all the french cups so you quickly subconsciously build that into you know you learn what did, okay that was a mistake what do i need to do better um and that's a brilliant point miles spoke to loik about it he said you can't make it up that time is gone that time okay. is gone but i do think if you're not aware of it you sometimes try make it up and that's when more mistakes happen that's when you compound the error but sometimes you make a little mistake in that turn one, it fires you up. You're like a little bit more aggressive depending on the track. If it's a dry track, you sometimes ride a little bit out of your skin and it can pay off. Like okay. you have a very good result even though you're like, but I blundered turn two. Yeah. But it gave you that extra motivation to pedal out and all that, you know. So 
dig deeper. It goes both ways, but I think in these conditions, like you can't make it up. Like yeah. it's too slippery. You know, you can't get overly aggressive. Uh, race two, you could see more riders riding aggressively. And that's where we spoke about in the world's podcast. And the guys that were able to do a few pre-races got back to their, what race speed feels like, what the nerves yeah. feel like, what it's like to make a mistake and just get on with it. It's so important. Um, what about a Steez Awards? Let's give a first, second, and third for Steez. Steez, well, Kate Edwards over the jumper one. Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a one, two, three, four Steez for the whole week of Maribor racing. Oh, I didn't give you that homework. Shit. Okay, cool. Well, I, uh, let's let's, made, uh, let's hear it. So first, I've got Kate Edwards. Second, I've got Kate Edwards, and third, I've got Kate Edwards. So <laughs> and fourth, I'm going to give Kate Edwards a pat on the back <laughs> for being pretty fast and within striking range of some good results for someone that as we know on social media has just not really been riding his downhill bike and if he has he's been doing 540s or 360s and stuff but like you know your your part of you wants him just to focus on racing and see what he could get out of it it's like reminding me of Brendog when some rider or people were like ah, we we want him to be more serious but we kind of don't he was pretty quick just coming off the couch he was hey he really was Oh, that's so pretty funny. Almost makes you wonder if he's not paying too much attention or digging too deep, which I don't really believe. I think he is trying hard. But it almost makes you wonder if he did double down on his downhill efforts, maybe you know, maybe there'd be he'd be closer to the podium. But I mean he just his style is just dope. I, I don't want him to give up downhill because I want to see more and more content of him on any bike. He makes he makes bike riding, he makes bike racing cool. And uh I give him gold, silver, and bronze medal on the Steez Awards. Well, you can when you know you're not in the running because you go and whip and then you get sixth place down the finish. You're literally going to look like a tit, you know? Like For your sure. sponsors are going to be like, did you need to really whip? You were point <laughs> one, off the, <laughs> one off the podium or whatever. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Miles. Yep. Speaking of next generation, the two juniors went two for two, the ladies and the men. This uh, O'Callaghan from Ireland. Wow. Wow. Dude, he crashed in race one. Uh, unbelievable. I didn't pay too much attention to the juniors, but unbelievable results. I did see some footage of him. Like, yeah, that is definitely next generation. He's going to be real deal. He's definitely the real deal. That's that's impressive. So we'll see what the expectations and, and pressure does to him. But I, I'd like he's to young too, hey? On a dry track, you know, maybe... I'd like to see him on a dry track and see what happens there. Race two, yeah, I guess it was still slick, isn't it? Mm. I think he's going to be just just fine. And then uh, Perini, the junior lady, she's the fresh French national champ. She's super new to the sport, dude. I looked up a result. There's like seven results. Really? <laughs> Total. <laughs> like she's very new to the sport. So that was very cool. I, I don't know too much about her, but that just speaks to the institution of bike racing in france i mean they just they were offered a few years ago across a few genres but you just look at through the genres now the french just know how to breed bike races it's unbelievable yeah i know very cool and um yeah they are forced to kind of do all the genres and disciplines as youngsters so they get like a super broad round skill set set of bike riding so that's definitely cool to see 
We can't... Uh, Eleanor Farina, she had her best quality, her best result in race two. I don't want to not mention names. I know we've been jumping around. Um, so that was really cool. We spoke about Miriam. She qualified first, but she has to go around that big jump. So yeah. that's that's a challenge. And then she I mean, what about crashes as well. Yeah. Um, what about Cami Belanche, world champ? Like, smart rider. Um, she's been making steady progress for a while now. Also hasn't been racing for too long. Um, maybe she's wanting a bit more, sitting eighth in the points after Maribor, where she got an eighth and then a seventh. But she's got a cool style, and she's a new face and um, moving forward. So kudos to her. You know, she's riding really smart. She is, and uh, I think it's going to be tough for her. But you, you nailed it. She is quite new to the sport. Yeah. obviously focus a lot on the previous podcast, but she's done a little bit of EWS and then she's transitioned out to downhill, but um, she's very new to, to World Cup downhill. There's not many races and seasons under her belt, so um, I think we'll see more from her to come once she gets more downhill experience. Yes, she's got the World Champs title. She she rode a great race. We didn't see her here on the podium just yet, but I have all faith that we definitely will in, in the future. For sure. Miles, it's been awesome. We may have missed something. Don't don't shoot the messenger. There were two races. There were two qualies. World Cup racing is back. How good is that? Thanks to Red Bull TV. Thanks to the UCI for pulling off a race season. Thanks to all the diehard media guys pushing through the weather, the mechanics, everyone. We've got, you know... Thanks to them, we had a lot of entertainment over you know an action-packed four days in theory. So, if I've missed anything, now's your chance, Miles. I just think if you're uh, kids, if you're under one point eight meters and you're into gravity events, mullets for the win. Uh, he brings up the bike size and wheel side again. Well, we'll see. We'll see if any of those guys change in the off season, but. Miles, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Super insightful. I loved hearing the experience. Uh, we're going to have to do more of these in the future. So for the fans out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And don't forget, hopefully, there will be another double header. We've got a week off. And then uh, let's hold thumbs that we do get to see some more racing in, in 2020. Yeah, cheers, Bru. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Thanks again, mate. Cheers, mate. Big thank you to you guys for downloading and listening to this episode. This episode was brought to you by E13 Components. It's E13's mission to make bikes better and life more fun for people to ride. What a great statement. I couldn't agree more. Guys, if you liked the episode, give it a share with a friend. Make sure you rate and review it on all those podcast platforms. I do see all the messages that you send me. If you like something, let me know. If you've got some feedback, I love hearing it. Till the next episode, stay well.